0: Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS, College Radio, right here, FM. On Radio Parallax, we tend to take a broad view on what constitutes public affairs, so we've tended to uh, interview people from the entertainment uh, business, and we've talked to people who are screenwriters, uh, movie makers, etc. We're especially pleased on today's program to have uh, a really very distinguished star of the theater and film, Mr. Eli Wallach, who will be joining us in our second segment to talk about his uh, rather star-studded career. On the stage and on celluloid, I read that the most uh, most played movie on television after The Wizard of Oz is The Magnificent Seven. In that movie, Eli Wallach plays the bad guy, which they have to hire Yul Brenner, uh, Charles Bronson, Steve McQueen, and four other of the Magnificent Seven to bring down. You probably know him best from the uh, Sergio Leone classic The Good, the Bad. And the Ugly, wherein he again plays the Mexican heavy. If uh, you've seen both those films, and there's a pretty good chance that you have, dear listener, you you will note that the uh, the two bad guys are portrayed very differently by an actor of uh, quite quite uh, quite a wide range. Chuck Monroe of Newman Communications uh, sent us an email last summer, uh, offering up Eli Wallach in conjunction with the publishing of his book, The Good, The Bad and me, and it's taken us, uh, well, almost a year to catch up with them, but we finally have done so, and we're looking very forward to speaking with him in segment two. And in our third segment today, we're going to take a look uh, at another film, a rather important film titled An Inconvenient Truth, which is Al Gore's pitch to the nation and the world that we really need to do something about global warming. The movie is getting excellent reviews. As of yesterday, a scientific panel came forward to confirm that the data presented in that movie is indeed accurate. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in our third segment. On this date in history, which is June 9th in the year 1776, Mission Dolores was founded in San Francisco, California. On the same date in 1854, the U.S. government pays Mexico $10 million for the Gadsden Purchase, which, was, which then acquired the southern parts of Arizona and New Mexico, and if my memory serves me correct, completed the borders of what is today the contiguous Lower 48. On this date in 1904, the Prohibition Party met in Indianapolis to nominate the aptly named Silas C. Swallow as its presidential candidate, Without swallow at the helm, the party's mandate nevertheless became federal law when the 18th Amendment took effect on January 29, 1919. It's interesting how a party or an idea that can start on the, on the political fringe can, uh, can nevertheless take over. And we're looking forward in the weeks to come here to speaking with Barry Goldwater's granddaughter about an upcoming um, public television special that's set to air in the fall. That's going to be interesting. But in our final item, on June twenty ninth, nineteen fifty, and perhaps the biggest upset in soccer history, the United States defeated England in a World Cup game, one to nothing. America would not win another World Cup game until nineteen ninety four. At this point, we might like to cite a letter to info at Radio Parallax from Steve, who noted <laughs> that. Uh, All they have to do to fix up soccer in America is introduce more play stoppage. He noted that when soccer games are stopped, so the TV audience can see two gangs of men shouting at each other, tastes great versus less filling, soccer may then take off. We'll see what our sports commentator Sean Mitten has to say about that on next week's show. We'd like to also uh, cite another email that was sent to us pointing out, which I did not know, that apparently a recent poll of people in the U.S. says that 43% say that immigration to them is a serious problem. Uh, 31% responded by saying, no hablo ingles. Our statistic of the day is 66 to 34. That was the vote by which the U.S. Senate failed by one vote to muster the 67 vote, two-thirds majority they needed or passage that would have sent this amendment to the states for ratification. To that we say, thank God. Edward Epstein, writing in the Chronicle Washington Bureau, said that opponents of this bill were heartened that they had defeated what they said was an unprecedented attempt to turn back free speech rights and a Republican election year ploy to rally the party's conservative base for the November congressional elections. For the record, Dianne Feinstein joined John McCain in voting for that bill, which was sponsored by Utah Senator Orrin Hatch. It failed to pass because two Republicans voted against it, uh, Orrin Hatch's fellow Utah Senator, Bob Bennett, and Senator Chafee from Rhode Island. Our hats off to them and to Barbara Boxer, who voted no. Let's offer up a round of applause for those who voted against this little bit of insanity, shall we? I would like to note that I was uh, driving back from the Bay Area yesterday and uh, was listening to this vast wasteland of right wing radio denouncing the New York Times as you know implying they're just being treasonous for unveiling this uh, this program out there to track international finances allegedly related to terrorism. We'd like to remind our listeners of the fact that just before the September 11th 2001 attacks on America There was a spike in put options that came over from Europe on United and American Airlines, indicating strongly that someone had insider knowledge that those two airlines' stock prices were about to take a hit. We remain curious here on Radio Parallax as to why that data has never surfaced. That would be interesting to know, don't you think? And as far as uh, the New York Times committing treason, well, you know, how about this report from someone in the Bush administration? This is a quote from 2001. We've established a foreign terrorist asset tracking center at the Department of the Treasury to identify and investigate the financial infrastructure of the international terrorist networks. It will bring together representatives of the intelligence, law enforcement, and financial regulatory agencies to accomplish its two goals, to follow their money so we can find out where they are and to freeze the money to disrupt their actions. We're also working with the friends and allies throughout the world to share information. So it wasn't the New York Times that revealed uh, this this data recently. This was someone in the Bush White House. In fact, it was George Bush himself. Speaking in the White House Rose Garden on September 24, 2001, joined by Secretary of the Treasury O'Neill and Secretary of State Powell. It was interesting, the, the, what seems to be an orchestrated campaign by right-wing radio uh, talk hosts, at least all the ones I heard yesterday, to, uh, to join in a chorus denouncing the liberal media for their, their, their devious treachery in unveiling that such a program exists. Frank Rich in the New York Times wrote last week that the war is going so badly, it's hard to imagine how the Democrats could fail. To take over at least the House in November, but the party's leaders are so divided over Iraq, especially over whether to pull out, that Republicans now plan to run on a failing and unnecessary war, as stupendously counterintuitive as that strategy may sound. Well, I gotta say, when I was punching the radio buttons, it was such a pleasure to reach that oasis of 90.3 FM yesterday, and here. Dr. Andy Jones playing some, uh, some sophisticated and elegant music that turned out to be a Henry Mancini score from the movie Arabesque, I believe. I'll tell you, that was a cool drink of water on a hot day. Let us now move to one of our favorite features on the program, which has a special poignancy today the good, the bad, and the ugly. We originally started doing the good week four, bad week four items out of The Week magazine. But my uh, producer, Mr. McMillan, suggested that, you know, why don't we round it out with the good, the bad, and the ugly? Because after all, that phrase has, you know, basically entered the English language at this point. I really am especially tickled to contemplate as we do this today that we'll be joined afterwards by Tuco, the ugly, from that same movie. We would note in a bit of trivia that uh, Ennio Morricone's classical theme music for this movie was was an attempt by him to recreate a hyena's cry, he later said. (laughs) According to The Week magazine... Last week was a good week for answered prayers, after a Polish lake became 30% vodka following a leak at a distillery. As locals stampeded to collect pails of the lake water, a 70-year-old woman commented, If God doesn't help, everyone will be a drunkard with only a hole where the lake was. On the other hand, according to the magazine, last week was a bad week for people, specifically People who sue people. (laughs) After reports that angry fans are mounting a class action lawsuit against Barbara Streisand for coming out of retirement. The irate fans bought expensive tickets for her last tour, which Streisand guaranteed would be her last. And it apparently was an ugly week for what Radio Parallax would label hip-hop fashion in quotation marks. (laughs) when the Wall Street Journal reported that the enormously baggy and beltless men's pants that are currently in vogue have proved to be a boon to law enforcement. Police departments around the country report that young male suspects have become much easier to catch because they trip over their own trousers. (laughs) When I catch them, said Stanford, Connecticut Police Lieutenant Jim Matheny, I tell them they'd do much better if they had pants that fit. All right, let's go out a little bit early here and spend some extra time talking with a movie legend, Eli Wallach, to follow. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.